What's up, Dreadheads? I'm John. And I'm Joe. And welcome to episode 54. This week we are covering Michael Bruce Ross, the man with three first names, apparently. <laughs> uh, he is also affectionately known as the Roadside Strangler. Now, we have a few announcements we need to get through, so let's get the housekeeping out of the way first and foremost. And you better not skip through it, goddammit. Skip through what? <laughs> through our announcements. Not the announcements. I want to get through I'm the telling I'm telling the dreadheads, don't skip through. Just like, ah, I purposely did not add in our, our advertisement for our, our fucking uh, psilocybin <laughs> customer this week so that they could save a minute <laughs> because I know how fucking choosy they can be. <laughs> and here we are still wasting time. Real quick, thank you guys so much. You guys crushed the numbers for yeah. episode 53 about John George Haig, the acid bath murderer. One of our best first weeks ever. And we had the best first week ever for Fright Flick, Fuck, Mary Kill. Yeah. This uh, past week, we covered Trauma, our most fucked up film yet. And clearly, you sick fucks like it. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for putting up big numbers. They're probably holding that. out for you to fucking like dry hack. <laughs> oh, it, that was a fucking doozy right there. But real quick, Joe, what's the most dreadful website on the whole internet? SpreadTheDreadPodcast.com. That's right. You go there. You got links to all of our podcast platforms, our YouTube, our BitChute. Make sure that you are liking, subscribing, commenting, and sharing over there. Also on the website, you got links to our IG, our Facebook, uh, what our merch store. And there's going to be links to something else. The donations, no longer there. But we are going to get to that in one second. Again, if you're listening to this on Apple or Spotify, make sure that you leave us a five-star review. Send us a screenshot of that review to IG, Facebook, or Spread the Dread Podcast at gmail.com and get yourself some free stickers. And when those free stickers come in, take a quick shot of you with them and we will put you on one of our social media flyers. Joe, the big announcement we have, well, there's mm -hmm. a couple. Yeah, there is. The biggest thing is we're no longer doing the donation tiers thing nope. via PayPal. We said we weren't going to fuck with Patreon, but enough of you assholes have asked about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then so we're, we're starting a patreon that yeah. there's that's the big news yep um we're not going to get into all the details here if you're listening to this and you should be because it's the day the, the the day it comes out which is every wednesday it's january 25th on january 26th at 9 p.m eastern standard time that's in america for all of our international dreadheads <laughs> we are going to go on ig live there's also going to be a flyer that day to remind y'all that we're going to be on ig live at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, U.S., and we're going to break down a little bit about what's going on with the Patreon, explain all that, explain some of the stuff that's coming up, and all that jazz. We've, we've taken our time with it to really, in my opinion, and, and we've done a lot of looking at others, to give people the biggest bang for their buck in podcasting Patreon, yeah. not just in access to shit. There's going to be a Discord that you're going to be on, and again, I'm not getting into it much. There's going to be monthly merch. All of that stuff is going to be included. So the biggest thing is make sure that you are on our IG live. Again, that is January 26th, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, U.S., where we will break down some more about the Patreon and some more upcoming stuff. Another big thing, this, uh, well, this upcoming Friday, which is going to be the 27th, will be a brand new episode of Fright Flick, Fuck, Mary Kill, and we're going to cover the 2022 uh, horror movie, Speak No Evil. Look forward to that. The following Monday... What fucking day of the week is that? 30th. January 30th is going to be the debut episode of another series we're doing 
called Talking Dread, where I'm going to talk to uh, people in like the horror and true crime community, whether that's our first episode is with DJ Remark of Blood Scribe Creations. He's a horror movie writer and director. Uh, so definitely get ready for that to come out on Monday. Those are not going to be weekly. Those are going to maybe be a couple of times a month, just scattered here and there. But again, IG Live, January 26th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. We're going to talk about all of that and hang out with y'all for as long as it takes. Get through all these announcements and all that other good stuff and let y'all know what's on the horizon. We promised you we wanted 2023 to be the most dreadful year ever. And we are gearing up to make it that way, Joe. Yep, yep, yep. Absolutely. Did I cover everything now? Yes. All right, Dreadheads, you've hung in there for five fucking minutes, and I know you guys are fucking itching for your dose of murder, so hang tight. Here we go with episode 54 about Michael Bruce Ross, the Roadside Strangler. All right, Joe, so get us started with giving us the bio like only you know how to do. Yes, sir. Michael Bruce Ross was born on July 26, 1959 in Brooklyn, Connecticut. Got us a nor'easter up in this bitch. <laughs> His parents were Daniel and Pat Ross, and per court records, the two married after Pat had discovered she was pregnant. Yep, so you guys want to talk shit about us Southerners? Y'all have shotgun weddings too, uh, motherfucker, yeah. and apparently they produce serial killers, so congratulations. <laughs> you happy now? You got Tom Brady, but you also got Michael Bruce Ross. How about that? <laughs> Michael is actually the oldest. Well, you had Tom you know. Brady. <laughs> well, obviously, Michael was the oldest of four children, um, having two younger sisters and a younger brother. Uh, he was raised on a chicken farm in Brooklyn, Connecticut. Again. Oh, yeah, no. I know. It's uh, all the folks in New York City that like right. to talk shit. But then Fucking I'm, then Southerners. I find, yeah, I find out about all the rest of them, and they're just like, no, we, we, we basically just farm and do heroin like the rest of y'all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Um, the marriage actually was not a happy one. Um, it's actually reported that Michael's mother, Pat, really hated like having a farm life. Yeah, she's so like she's f- bougie she, as she shit. Like, she's like the fuck farm boys, but didn't want to get like, settled down with one, exactly. apparently. Exactly. So after having four children and two aborted, Abortions. Pat fled to North Carolina to be like with another they man. Do. They always come south. They talk <laughs> shit about it. But then when everything goes up, they're like, you know, I need some warm weather. And then it was like, we'll put up with your backwards ways. <laughs> um, later, she returned home and was institutionalized. Yeah, Pat, Pat ended up, yeah, ended <laughs> up fucking just, I guess she was just as nutbaggy down in the south as she was up there and got kicked back up there. Well, it says that the doctor actually wrote that Pat talked to suicide and of beating her children. Yeah, she, so. she, she was a heavy-handed woman, took out of her frustrations with the way her life had been and had went took it out on all of her kids uh and according to michael ross's sister who uh, she said that uh, as a child michael actually got the most of his mother's uh makes mental sense. and and physical anger and abuse yeah absolutely makes sense because he was the causation for her having such an unhappy life even though it really wasn't his fault it was the fact that you know he she let somebody hit it well yeah i mean not only that goddamn but, like, yeah, condom yeah, but she, she got Pregnant five Or how about times. the fact that she do a fucking abortion and didn't fucking take care of shit? I don't know. I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, we're pro-choice here. Yeah, I mean, you absolutely. Do, you fucking feel about that how you fucking feel, dreadheads. You know, we keep it real here. But yeah, yeah. I mean, again, she's, I, I, I get that, though. And actually, I didn't even put that together. But there you go with your bachelor's in psychology. <laughs> yeah, he was, She. I bet she looked at him as the catalyst yeah. for all of this. Even though like, it wasn't his goddamn fault. pregnancies, bra- blamed him for yeah. having to get abortions. Probably, probably blamed, blamed him for having to live on a farm. And, and just his, her life was shit because of this child coming into the world. Yeah, but. and as we've, as we've always... Uh, 
found out on this show, that never ends well for the child uh, that uh, that ends up happening to, no. Joe. Please go on. Yeah, so according to various family members and friends, um, they actually stated that an uncle of Michael's oh. may have actually sexually molested him while babysitting him. Yeah. And this particular uh, uncle... Um, Ended up committing suicide around the time that Michael was six years old. Yeah. So, I mean, again, and and, and, and oh, I will go ahead and get this out of the way, Dreadheads. This was one of the most difficult episodes to actually research. I had heard of this guy before. Mm. I had heard of the name uh, and, of course, the Roadside Strangler. Yeah. Usually, there's pretty decent source material to go out there. You know, I try to get some generalized stuff, but I try to read, like, some stuff that was like from books or like, you know, different like researches and stuff like this. This dude, it was really fucking tough. And literally one of the articles that I was using while preparing notes disappeared, like was like taken down. It has some sort of like fucking strike for what is that? Plagiarism or shim shit? Oh, I they think. stole written words Something from somebody like else. That. Um, so, but that's, yeah, I could never substantiate if they ever proved that. And again, Michael Ross actually would later say that he remembered very little about his childhood abuse, which again goes into the psychology of burying the memory. Oh yeah, a lot. Of, yeah, a lot of kids who go through like traumatic events end up like just kind of locking it away. It's like their brain tries to put a like a, a barrier between the pain in real life so that they can continue. It's just like a, a safety or not a safety, but a um, survival mode. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so even though you know, unlike his mother. One of the things he was very happy about was he he loved being growing up on a farm. Mm-hmm. Was was there was for all intents and purposes him and his father had a very good relationship and he loved helping his father uh like you know out on the farm and stuff like that. Now after this uncle that Joe mentioned who per- reportedly again from friends and family members again not substantiated by Michael Bruce Ross himself after that uncle had committed suicide that uncle was was a big help on the farm too. Once that happened uh, Michael's role, you know, as the firstborn son, it increased in how the farm, mm. you know, labor was so dealt out. his uncle's role. Yeah. Right. But here's the thing, dreadheads. It, even a spot of happiness for Michael Bruce Ross further leads to why he's on this episode. Because one of the main tasks his uncle had to, was responsible for that then got passed on to six, seven-year-old Michael Ross was the job of killing sick and malformed chickens. Mm. So, again, that's not, I mean, all of y'all who enjoy your fucking Chick-fil-A and I'm with you and your chicken nuggets and all that other shit, it's fucking dirty work. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not fucking blaming all that shit, but when you have a kid who was more than likely, you know, all intents and purposes pointed, the signs pointed to the fact that he was molested by an uncle, his mother, you know, was very physically and verbally abusive to him, now he has a catalyst mm-hmm. to release that, even if he knows it or not. Again, he's having to kill these chickens for As part proper of job. reasons, yeah. right? They're they're sick. They're they're not going to make it. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want them passing on bad genetics and things of that yep. nature. But now he has an outlet where you see a lot. Uh, I believe well, it's it, like the maladaptive. It's maladaptive behavior. So like, even though he's taking a normal, regular job, he's finding a maladaptive way of dealing with it. Right. So even now if he's he finding joy. That right? Yeah, he, absolutely. Subconsciously. You, no, yeah. I was about to say it's completely subconsciously. He probably doesn't even realize that he's going from like flipping one side to the other. But regardless, he's probably getting a lot of probably a lot of his frustrations out on these animals that he's taking in from his own 
own mother. Because yeah. obviously he yeah. he's not gonna be able to put a fight up against his mama well, yeah, yeah. and win. Well, and, and also it was it was stated that that Michael would actually strangle the chickens with his bare hands. Yeah, there it goes to show well, you yeah. he had a lot of pent-up resentment that he was right. trying to take it out somewhere. Right, whatever you think of the way farming and all that other shit is done, generally they don't try to fucking, A, even if it's not from a, you know, a heartfelt way of thinking, they generally want the death of these animals to be as quick and painless, painless as possible yeah. because that's good for the bottom line. Mm-hmm. You don't want to sit there and take time killing them. It needs to be quick, efficient, and I wonder done. if it's at all forms of meat, but I know that like in goat, you don't want to scare them because like a gland will release like I've, shit into the meat and taint it. So maybe it's well, also I too know, part of that. I know that I'm sure goats aren't the only ones that have that mm-hmm. thing happen to them, but that's the one I know of the most that yeah. there's a certain thing you have to like once they're killed, you have to like get Rip. that gland out very quickly yeah. and things of that nature. With chickens, I don't imagine that's the way, but there's certainly far quicker and, you know, more humane ways yeah, to kill them. Yeah, a helicopter. Yeah, you know, ringing their necks again <laughs> for all of our... I did my mom do it like three years old and to this day, I can fucking remember that shit. They, they literally <laughs> scared do... the shit out of that me. That saying about running around with like a chicken with your head cut off, that yes. happens. It's a reflex of the body. It, yeah. They just fuck. They're dead, yeah. but the body just goes fucking the wings haywire. Just, yeah, the, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. I, can, I just remember there's some feathers <laughs> flying everywhere and that fucker just... Oh, my God. <laughs> that show's Filipino mother, by the way, so if you find that offensive, you're racist. <laughs> Uh, as Michael got older, uh, more of the farm responsibilities obviously would fall to him. He's again, he's the oldest. He's the firstborn son, and only that he's a big fan of doing the the farm work and stuff like that. Now, by the time he was in high school, dreadheads, uh, his father, you know, Michael was basically the partner mm-hmm. to help keep this farm alive. However, uh, another thing that also goes hand in hand with a lot of serial killers, <laughs> Michael Bruce Ross was recorded, and I swear to God, I know I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to call him Michael Ross Bruce. <laughs> That's why I said the shit earlier about him having three first fucking yeah, names. No. I knew, I knew it's going to fuck with me. I don't think I've messed it up yet, but I promised it's coming. Uh, it was reported that he had an IQ of 122. So, you know, he was doing fine in school. He was balancing everything very well, particularly for someone with, with his background and his upbringing. Now, he did graduate from Killingly High School in Killingly, Connecticut in 1977. <laughs> That's an interesting name. <laughs> right. Killingly, Connecticut. Yeah. This like, is, is this dude, not foreshadowing I may of a have, different sort? It's tough. I'm sure there are. But this dude is, is in a pretty good league of having a goddamn deck stacked against him. <laughs> like, I, dude, I don't, he was destined for this I kind know. of shit right there. Uh, after he graduated, Joe, in 1977... Uh, Michael Ross attended Cornell University and started studying agricultural economics. Yeah, and actually while he was at Cornell, um, he began dating a woman who was in ROTC. And um, he actually stated that he dreamed of someday actually marrying this oh, girl. Oh yeah, he was quite the smitten kitten with her. Yeah. So- I never could find that he was unlucky with the lady. Again, there's, there's more on Michael Bruce Ross. After he is arrested and actually, and a, spoiler alert, whatever the fuck, <laughs> after he's arrested and goes to jail, there's almost more about him during that time period than there is anything about the murders, his early life and stuff hmm. like that. So again, I'm sure, you know, when, usually when someone is, has, you know, suffered that kind of abuse, they're obviously more soft-spoken, antisocial, things like that. But by all intents and purposes on the outside, He wasn't, it wasn't like a big reported thing about him being bullied or Mm -hmm. anything like that. But 
I would imagine, too, with, you know, his responsibilities on the farm and, you know, again, kind of being shy, a little bit antisocial, probably too smart for his own good. This may have been the first serious girlfriend he ever had, Joe. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it quite uh, possibly could have been. But uh, regardless, so actually this woman um, became pregnant and she had an abortion and the relationship began to crumble at that it's point. It's crazy that the, the, the parallels oh, yeah. with his mother. Well, that, that's what they always say is like girls will date their fathers and, and boys will date their mothers. It, it's, it's what you're used to seeing in a relationship. It's you know? not a good start here for Michael no. Bruce Ross. He's trying to avoid marrying Pat Ross. I know. Yeah. So um, the woman then decided to sign up for a four-year service commitment, and that's where um, her and Michael ended up parting ways. Now, in interviews, Michael said that as the relationship you know, had more tr- uh, problems, troubles, he began him fantasies that were kind of like sexually violent. Right. We're starting to see the, the, the yeah. facade is slipping. He's, mm-hmm. he's hitting it subconsciously as long as he can. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I would even go as far to say is like he took on as much as he could until he snapped. Because oh, yeah. obviously he was, he, like you said, he had the shit stacked against him and then one good thing comes into his life and then it goes to shit. That might have been the straw that broke the camel's back. Right. Well, again, we're talking about, again, look at the correlations here between his girlfriend. You know, he's he's madly in love with her. He, they end up, she ends up getting pregnant. She has an abortion. Just like his mother had well, had a couple of Well, she was an ROTC, so she pro- may have had a more um, masculine, domineering personality, probably very similar to his mother. Well, not only that, but he grows up with, with his mother, Pat, mm-hmm. leaving the family. When she went down to North Carolina, I believe, I, and again, the sources were kind of all over the place, but other sources stated that that wasn't the, the only time that she had left the family. Mm-hmm. So then, again, this girl, he's in love with her. Boom, she gets pregnant, has an abortion just like his mother. Boom, after all that happens, she signs up, a.k.a. leaves him just like his mother did. Yeah, abandoning him. Right, so that, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's just piling up on him at this point. Yeah, but by his sophomore year at Cornell, he had actually begun stalking women. Time to no longer feel sorry yeah. for Michael Bruce Ross. <laughs> Here's the line. Um, he graduated uh, from the University in Ithaca, uh, New York. In well, May- it, was, it was Cornell University Oh, Cornell in University in Ithaca, New York, um, in May of 1981, where um, he ended up studying economics. Yeah, the agricultural economics yeah. that we had mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, yes. So now let's get into what all of you sick fucking dreadheads are here for. <laughs> let's talk about the murders of Michael Bruce Ross. Now, I'll, I'll go through the first few because, again, there's only a couple here that actually had some details to them. Uh, so, uh, Michael's uh, first rape and murder uh, was actually 25-year-old. I'm going to fuck this up, Joe. You want to take a, 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 a hammer at that one? Uh, Zung Naktu. Do that one more time. Zung Naktu. Yeah, there you go, that one. <laughs> uh, no disrespect to her. Uh, she was actually a Cornell University student. Ross murdered Zung. So Zung is D Z U N G. So you can tell why my white ass is having problems with the dreadheads. Uh, He actually murdered Zung. I did that one. All right. There we go. I'm getting it down when you try to teach me some Tagalog words and shit like that. Uh, He murdered her on May 12th of 1981. This is just really a matter of days or weeks. Before, before graduation, man. Before graduating from Cornell University. Like now, she didn't have to live with that debt. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, man. I had to fucking do it. I'm sorry. Oh, that's my job. I You're know. supposed to be the good one. I know. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to be better. I'm supposed to be better. Yeah, you should apologize. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that I should have thought up. And I actually, you know what? I'm sorry for not coming up with that first. How about <laughs> you that? You should be. <laughs> uh, Ross actually, uh, again, he committed this. You know, like I said, I don't have his exact graduation date, but uh, you know, it was within days or weeks uh, before graduating. Uh, he would go on to commit three more rapes and murders in 1982. So the following year, right? Okay, this yeah. would include. 17-year-old Tammy Williams, who was uh, murdered January 5th of 1982 in Brooklyn, Connecticut. 16-year-old Paula Pereira, uh, that was uh, that happened in March of 1982 in Middletown, New York. And 23-year-old Deborah Smith Taylor, that took place January 15th of 1982 in Griswold, Connecticut. Hmm. This then he 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 chills out for a while, yeah. almost a year and a half, Joe, which takes us to Thanksgiving Day of 1983. Yeah, this is when uh, Ross ends up attacking 19-year-old Robin Stavinsky on the grounds of a state hospital, which was located in Norwich, Connecticut. Um, he ended up forcing Robin into a wooded area and ordered her to like remove her clothes, and then he sexually assaulted her, and then after ordering her to turn over on her st- stomach. That's when he strangles her, which that is a very interesting fact. That's he not the first wanted time her to face him while he did it. No, that's very interesting. No, he turned her over on her stomach. Uh, that, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm yeah, sorry, he turned her stomach. He didn't, he didn't want. I'm sorry, right. he didn't want to see her face as he did it. Yeah, that's that's that 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 persists, Joe. Yeah, it's like a remorse and action. Okay, anyway, like, like yeah, almost sorry. like he he didn't want to see it. Like he had to do it. Yeah, like it was like, like this deep impulse inside to. of him, but he was ashamed to it see it. Makes me it. wonder if when he was killing those chickens with his bare hands, yeah, there was a choking the chicken joke in there, dreadheads. But shame. On you for wanting me the, to say that. They wanted the low fruit. <laughs> exactly. Shame on all of you. Uh, but yeah, when he was choking yeah. the chicken as a younger kid, there I had to do it. Sorry. <laughs> I, I wonder if he if he wouldn't look at him when that was going on. I mean, it, it's one of those things that like when you're like the eldest of your household, there's probably a lot of shit that you kind of have like suck up buttercup and just do because your parents rely on you. Right. And well, he had to and, remember the uncle that committed suicide. That was, one I, of the well, I meant he like was in doing. like kind of like a, a general sense, but because he was the eldest and because of uh, being on a farm, like he was just expected to do that. Even if he may have been a tender hearted person, right. It does you know? show so, shame. Yeah. In what he's doing. Yeah, for absolutely. Sure. Yeah, no, and um, it this also does because um, bef- uh, b- before he could even leave the body, he even covers her body up with leaves. So either it's remorse over his actions, or it's remorse. Oh shit! I don't want to get caught. Well, I, I mean, mean, that's not a very good way of not getting caught. I know. You know what I'm I saying? Know. Those leaves, they're going to blow away. And yeah, but you know how some nature. are. Like we've had them where they just yeah reckless abandonment. They don't give a flying fuck. They just bloop. You know, yeah. just drop them off on the side of a road. Yeah, so. definitely interesting. Yeah, so this brings us to Easter Sunday of 1984. Um, Ross ends up picking up a 14-year-old girl by the name of a- a- April Brunius and her friend, 14-year-old Leslie Shelley. The girls were actually hitchhiking on Route 138 in Griswold, Connecticut. And actually, once the girls got into his car, he drove them past their d- stated destination. Yeah, yeah, so he just starts calling ass. Yep, just, and then w- they go past where they were like, yeah, we need a ride to here. And he just continues. Yeah. So Brunus tried to actually force Ross to stop the car by threatening him with a knife. But Ross disarmed her and, con- and continued to ride on into 
Rhode Island. Right. And at Beach Pond, he parked his car and bound both girls' uh, hands and feet. He then untied April's feet and forced her to walk a short distance from his vehicle. And then that's when he assaulted her sexually, turned her over on her stomach, and strangled her as well. Right. So that's what I'm saying. There was a pattern. Yeah. I mean, it's like he couldn't look at him yeah. while he did it. Yeah. Um, so he gets back to his car. Which is weird because it, it makes you, it, it would assume that while he's raping them, they are facing him. Maybe. Well, that's what I'm saying. If I mean, if they're already to, bound, I mean, you can get them from behind too. Right, but it, but it, but I'm saying it was it was well noted, and a lot of this actually came from a police report. Mm-hmm. That was one of the articles or the, the sources I had to get to actually find some details about a few of the murders was actually from a police report. So I I mean I would imagine at that point this is during in, invest you know interrogation interviews and things like that. So he's telling them. Uh, you know, he's he's detailing, hey, I then had her roll over on her stomach while I strangled her, which would again, it, 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 I don't know. I mean, again, I don't know the mind of a fucking serial killer. None of us do. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you do know the mind of a serial killer, get help, because more than likely, you're probably a serial killer <laughs> or you're a really like high skilled psychologist. And in which case, why the fuck are you listening to this show? <laughs> but it, it's, it seems like he doesn't have any remorse in the actual act of rape. But in the act of like ending someone's life, you know, he can't he can't stomach looking at them. Then All of it just seems uh, it has like this deep root of impulse to me. Yeah, I, I don't know. Even, it, the, even the impulse to, like, to turn him over? Like, I, no, no, I'm meaning just like essentially like whatever he's got going or he had going through in his brain, whether it just be sex or to kill or both. Either way, it, it, it's like a piercing uh, how can i say almost obsessive thought probably for him and then the moment that he satiates it like he he's really oh shit oh, what did i do you uh, know kind of, like kind of snaps back yeah to reality. yeah yeah if that makes sense well no and it does because again he he kills you know three girls pretty much in the first half of 82 and doesn't strike again until the the, the near the end of 1983 so you know obviously there was a year and a half roughly of you know, he, this didn't happen. Yeah, you know, he he, didn't. I think he's one of those ones that has like the the cycle, you know, where it it's it, it builds up. He satiates guilt, and then he goes through a period of mourning until it builds back up, and then he has to do it again. Like that, well, it, it, it seems cyclic. Well, and also too, and we'll and we'll get to to a little bit further. But I mean, even with like the whole thing of like covering, um, what was it, Robin Stavinsky's body with yeah. the leaves? There is a show of impulse. You know, a lot of play people will have tools. Try, yeah. They have a method of dispatching the body or mm-hmm. disposing of the body. They have an area that they normally like to do it in because mm-hmm. they they're and his familiar. is all random. Yeah, a lot of his yeah. is random. They're not taking place in the same cities. They're not taking place in the same states and yeah. things of that nature. It just seems like almost like something like a almost like an opportunity knocks and like it just flies over him and he, and he just does, does it. Does it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so he gets back to the car, um, and this is where he actually kills Leslie, but he doesn't. Doesn't end up sexually assaulting her. Right. Um, he then actually placed her bo- uh, both bodies of the girls in his car and drove back to Preston, Connecticut, where he disposed of their bodies in a culvert, which is a structure that you know channels water past an obstacle or to like a subterranean waterway. Right. And that leads up to his final murder, which is June thirteenth of nineteen eighty four. So again, just it's again it's very sporadic. We're talking about April of eighty four. 
skips May, goes halfway through June, and then does it again. And this time he accosts 17-year-old Wendy Ooh. Baribolt. Baribolt. B-A-R-I-B-E-A-U-L-T. Baribolt. Wendy, Wendy yeah. B, I'm going to call yeah, her there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this was as she was walking along Route 12 uh, in Lisbon. Um, they had a short conversation. Uh, so Ross is on foot at this point. He's mm. not, not doing it in the car. I guess he walks by her or something. Or maybe he saw her in the car, parked the car, and then you know kind of caught up with her on foot. Mm-hmm. So they start talking. And Ross actually at that point... Um, Pulls Wendy over, you know, like a short stone wall uh, and forces her to go with him into a wooded area that actually led to an open field. Uh, When he was there, he sexually assaulted her and again forced her to turn over onto her stomach and then strangled her to death. So again, Dreadheads, the the first, uh, what, the first four of eight of these, we don't have much details. I would I would say it's safe to assume that he was making all the girls turn over onto their stomachs while he while he yeah. strangled them. Uh, seven out of eight, he did sexually assault. The only one that did escape that Leslie, yeah. right? And I would imagine that was because he had he just was sex- spent. Yeah, yeah, he had just sexually assaulted her friends. So yeah. I, I I don't think that that was a choice. Yeah. or anything like that. He just happened to to get two girls at once at that point. Um, so. There was a joke in there somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure there was. I'm sure there. I think that you have taken the air out of the entire show oh, with you claiming that, well, his first victim didn't have to pay her student loans. <laughs> and you know what? That's fine. I find it funny. You know I do. But uh, one of us has to play the uh, straight face. You know, we got to play know. the straight card on that one. Not the, not the fucking sex That's shit. That's why I said straight about face. Whatever. Everybody knows we love you no matter where you fucking stick it in or rub it up against dreadheads. Yep. But now this brings us into actually him getting arrested and subsequently his trial. Yeah. So witnesses actually had reported seeing Wendy near like a tall, thin man who drove an 83 or 84 blue uh, Datsun. That's a hell of a car. <laughs> That's a hell of a car. I know. And you drive a Datsun now, you will be found by the time victim number one happens. <laughs> Those are barely on the road in the U.S. I, anymore. I, I know. Uh, the location of the people who owned that kind of a car in relation to where the body was actually found didn't fit for uh, Detective Michael Malik, um, who was a Signed to the cases of these uh, these disappearances of women in the area, um, Malchick and his. Oh yeah, okay. So you now see the ch. Yeah, yeah. You said Malchick, and I was like, well, maybe she knows better. Yeah, I, yeah. I Malchick, Michael Malchick. No, yeah. it is Malchick. Yeah, and his partner actually went to re-interview one of these witnesses and found that the man's uh, recollection uh, recollection had changed, and he had found a uh, like I guess the. Uh, a brochure. Yeah, a brochure or an advertisement yeah. or something maybe that showed the car that he had saw and he thought it was a Datsun. Datsun but it found out it was actually a Toyota. Right. Um, yeah, so Malchick and his partner pulled the motor vehicle records and out of thousands of possibilities ended up narrowing it down to um, the number or to four Toyota owners to visit immediately. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah I'm over here like stumbling yeah, across so I, words. I, so they were looking for people for, for 8384 Datsuns. Yeah, and then narrowed it down to the area. Yeah. Went and talked to someone else, and just by chance, that guy had seen a brochure or a flyer or something, and was like, "Yeah, I thought it was a Datsun, but I, I saw this, and that's the model of the car, okay. it's a Toyota." So now they're like, "Okay, okay." My brain was kind of like hung up yeah, on that. No, okay, let's redo yeah. our search looking for eighty three, eighty four Toyotas that fit yeah. that. They got four that 
was in that area that fit that area's description. Mm. And so now they actually had some leads. Okay. And now what's interesting is at the top of this list was actually Michael Bruce Ross, who lived nearest to the stone wall where uh, Wendy's body had actually been hidden. Right. Remember, he Jared had yeah. drug her over that. So again, he drug her over the stone wall. And then they, they cut through a little bit of woods into an open field. Again, it would suggest just like, uh, oh, who was the first one that he had talked about where he had covered her with leaves? Well, not, well she wasn't the first one. The first one we actually had some details on, Robin uh, Stavinsky. Yeah. So he, sometimes he was taking the bodies away like he did with the uh, the two girls that mm-hmm. he got. Um, he drove them away, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Leslie who, and... Um, yeah, God April damn. and Leslie. Uh, yeah, yeah, April so and Leslie. He, them, he had killed them in, in one state, actually, in Rhode Island, then drove them back into Connecticut. Yeah. So, but But with Wendy... Basically, left, left her where he where everything took place. Yeah. Um, so um, what ended up happening is uh, Ross wasn't home that evening, but on his way to a meeting of the detectives the next morning, Malchick actually stopped once again. And he and Ross spoke, and Ross agreed to come to the state police command post at that point. Later that day, Ross confessed to the eight murders and was convicted for the last four of them. Again, which makes sense because that's the four we have the most details yeah. on. So I don't know if, if Ross couldn't remember or just was kind They're of probably, fuzzy. He or? may have remembered, but the thing is, if he ain't got enough evidence, you have anything to like substantiate it, you can't charge right. him they for it. They only need it. to get you on one and they can put you in there yeah, for life. Yeah, so, but you know. yeah, they may have not had enough evidence to link the other yeah, four to him. Um, so what it's at this point, um, it took the jury only 86 minutes of deliberation yeah, to convict him. they had a quick him. trial. Yeah. Michael Ross spilled all the beans and... It only yeah. took even four hours, only four hours to even decide on his punishment. And this is where he was actually sentenced to death on July 6, 1987 in Connecticut by Judge G. Sarfield Ford. Right. So as Joe had stated, you know, <laughs> the jury was like, yep, he's guilty and we should kill him. <laughs> um, so this, again, brings us to really where the biggest amount of details about Michael uh, Bruce Ross really resides, and that's from the time he's in prison uh, up until his eventual execution. Again, spoiler alert, but if you've, if you've made it this fucking far, you ain't quitting on us now. Um, so now, while Ross was in prison, he ended up meeting uh, a woman who would later become his fiance, uh, Susan Powers of Oklahoma. Uh, however, Powers did break up with Ross in 2003 but was still a very good friend of his and visited him up until his eventual execution. Of course, like everyone, Michael Ross became a devout Catholic. Of course, the one religion where you can just fucking pray it away. I guess, I guess. Jesus loves to hang out in prisons, apparently, because everyone fucking finds him in there. Uh, But this was in 1984, so, like, I mean... Uh, sorry, after his arrest in 1994, he became, uh, a, you know, a really devout Catholic, was attending regular meetings with priests and, you know, was really Praying into it. a rosary each morning. Oh, yeah. He was he was all about it. Again, I mean, at that point. I, I scoff a little bit only because my mother is just, she constantly does that shit, too. I, I, at the same time, I mean, again, it, you know, if you've got life in prison and they're going to fucking eventually kill you again. We all, if you know much about the U.S. legal system, that always takes a hell of a lot of time. Yep. Again, to be fair, you got to make sure you have appeals and all that other stuff. I don't understand the process in his case because he literally confessed to everything. <sighs> but I digress. Um, so during his time in prison, he was, you know, he was described as a model uh, prisoner. He was a, a mentor to many other inmates. Apparently, he was quite proficient in Braille and, and was translating certain documents into Braille, I guess, to help out with, I don't know if it was blind prisoners or whatever. 
and things like that. So overall, and financially sponsored a child from the Dominican Republic. I, would, I, I don't even know how that happens. Like, how do you financially? You got to be in some dire straits if someone who's making a prison salary can help you survive because they don't make fuck all in there. No. You know, like, I mean, like they basically work to get ramen noodles in like a pack of Twinkies once a fucking week. And like, they, at that point, you are a high fucking roller if you're not like involved in like a gang or a cartel and are smuggling drugs and shit in that way. Yeah. But again, it, it, it almost seems kind of like in prison, Michael Ross finds some peace. Uh, maybe he was forced not to be able to commit a crime and had to start looking inward. I don't fucking know. I, yeah, I mean, again, who fucking knows? Congratulations to the Dominican kid. I mean, yeah, come I'm on glad now. You got something out. Everybody yeah. who was blind that got some Braille shit, that's, yeah. that's dope. Some people and, that may have been in there for fucking more minor offenses had actually a decent mentor. Like, I'm all about that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one way of going about it. But as we're going to see here, Michael Ross, despite all of his good intentions and good works, was still up for the death penalty. So, Dreadheads, this is actually kind of interesting. So, Michael Ross actually did not believe in the death penalty. Nope, he was against it. Yeah, he was against it. Oddly, he's like, no, I don't believe in the judicial system killing people. People should roll people onto their stomachs after and, raping them and kill and, them. Yeah, exactly. That's the natural way. Uh, even though he was opposed to the death penalty, uh, death penalty, he actually supported his own death sentence. Yes. And in the last year of his life, Ross said that he wanted to spare his victims' families any more pain than what he had already given them. Yeah, he was. He was. He was done with the appeals stuff. Yeah, he was over it. Done. Ready to move on. It literally and figuratively. Yeah. So according to Kathy um, Yeager, Yeager um, she was a Cornell graduate. Ross believed that he had been forgiven by God and that he would be going to, quote, a better place once he was actually executed. And she further said that, um, quote, he's not going to be punished. He's moving on to life eternal. That's what is ironic about the death penalty. He's looking forward to the peace, end quote, which makes a lot of sense. I mean. Honestly, I mean, even cancer patients that are like, you know, stage four, terminal, whatever, they even look at it. They're just like, I just want the peace and suffering to end at this point. Right. They're no longer scared of death. Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, he's been living with his looming death. For, for years at this point. And, and that I mean, comes, everybody does, but uh, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, yeah. but I mean, not, all of us know we're going to die one day, but mm-hmm. like, we don't, we, we have enough distractions in our daily lives to not sit there and dwell on it. Not when you're in prison on death row. Mm. I mean, you're on, you're, you're literally on death row. You literally are yeah. there waiting to be killed. Yeah. Uh, despite how long the process takes. And, and, and actually, in the notes further, Joe, we, we, uh, some people actually comment on that. Yeah. Um, so uh, Yeager also ended up saying that Ross had come to believe that there was no way his death sentences would be commuted without actually forcing the victim's families to suffer through more legal hearings. And that he knew his life would be meaningful even behind bars. Which, which lends credence to why he was, quote unquote, a model prisoner. He yeah. was... Again, I'm not I'm not giving him props, but he was making I can the give best, him props. He was mean, making the best of a bad situation. A lot of people that he get, put himself into, right? But, but a lot you of people go lot of, in there. Well, a lot of people on death row though, yeah, because they ain't got nothing. Most worse because yeah. they have nothing else to lose. Yeah, my dad worked in a maximum security prison. He said that shit was fucking trill as shit down there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because they again, don't have nothing to live for. They're hoping they get shot or killed or something just right. to be off of it. Exactly. But the he's waiting. over there like I'm trying to make the best of the horrible situation I've created. I, at least that's how I. 
it comes off to me, so I can kind of respect that in all honesty. Right. I mean, if you've got to give him props for anything, that's something to give him props for, yeah. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so per Yeager, um, he had had a horrible life, and he's wanted to do good, end quote. That's what she said about him. Now, in spite of this, an hour before Ross's ex- execution was to take place in the early hours of January 26th of 2005. And he was convicted in, what, I think, it was 87? Yeah. Hold on, I real. I think 87. 87, 88. Damn, yeah, how quickly July, we forget. Right, I know. Right, right. Well, it's you know, fuck that. I mean, we, you know, if we, if, you know, whatever. <laughs> Three kids, goddamn. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So he was he was sentenced on in '87. So God, yeah, yeah. Oh so God. almost 20 years at this point. That's yeah. a that's a lot of fucking time to sit there and and I'm mean, again, you're on death row. Yeah. For almost 20 years, you are faced. You wake up every day knowing you are in a place literally waiting to be killed. Yeah, okay, and so what's crazy about this? So in spite of this, an hour before Ross's execution was to take place in the early hours of January 26th of 2005, Ross's lawyer, acting on behalf of his father, obtained a two-day stay of execution. Now, how shitty is that? I, 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 I To be the there days. and be like, okay, today's the day, and be like, oh, it's been pushed back two days. Why? Well, I mean, I'm imagining <laughs> two. I mean, this is uh, literally an hour beforehand. They've they've already done all the prep. Yeah. You know, they have to prep again. I, you know, I, I, it was going to be Maybe it was because his father wanted to come and see him one last time, well, I mean, especially because of age. But, but at still. this point, it's been almost two decades. He's yeah. already came to terms with it and literally started saying, I am ready to die. I want to die. I deserve to die for what I've done. Yeah. And shit like that. And I mean, literally, they've done all the prep work. If you're an hour away from it, you're basically sitting in a in your cell waiting for them to come get you. He was, you know, it was it was going to be lethal injection, mm. waiting for them to come bring you to the room with oh. the chair. Everything else is done. Yeah. And you're just sitting there waiting and they come in and instead of grabbing you, they say, "Hey, your father's filed an appeal," which again would lead to the fact that he had more appeals left. Yeah. He had stopped appealing. Yeah. On his behalf, his father had appealed for him. And an hour before it was supposed to happen, suddenly, oh, it's going to be two more days. What oh, the fuck? Oh, man, I've been pissed. So regardless, Ross was then actually scheduled to die by lethal injection on January 29th, 2005 at 2.01 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. However, earlier in the day, the execution was again postponed because of doubts that Ross was mentally competent. Right. And Ross, having fought against his death sentence for 17 years, some suddenly, you know, waived his right to appeal. Right. He was, again, like I just stated, he was done with it. He At this point, he was like, no, this is dragged out long enough. My victim's families keep having this shit come up. Yeah. I don't think it's going to get overturned anyway, so why keep making them suffer? I'm ready. All mm-hmm. done. But yeah. it... There was still other cookie, hands in the cookie jar at that yeah, point. Yeah, so his attorney then claimed that Ross had, was incompetent to waive appeals as he was suffering from death row syndrome. Right. And Ross had attempted suicide three times while he was in prison. Ooh, that goes against the Catholicism. I, dude, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, but in that, in that situation, Jesus is only going to take the wheel so much. I know, right? I don't care what Carrie Underwood says. <laughs> he once admitted that he was seeking his execution largely because 
because of, quote, a desire to end my own pain, end quote. Now, public defenders argued that the extreme conditions he lived in essentially coerced him into dropping right, his appeal. This is what I was appeal. talking about earlier, dreadheads. This yeah. This right here. A former deputy warden at the super maximum security uh, prison in uh, a Connecticut pr- prison in which uh, Ross was actually at described the environment as similar to, quote, living in a submarine or cave, end quote. Well, if I'm not wrong, when you're on death row, that's where you're like, you're basically locked down 23 hours out of the day. Like they bring you your meals usually. You eat in your cell. They they get some yard well, yeah, time. If but it's a, a, yeah, it's a super maximum right, security. You're in those cages. Actually, I think in some of those places, you're not even allowed out of your cell. Right, but I would imagine with him being, again, quote unquote, a model prisoner, he probably got like the hour of yard time, which again is basically, and in a lot of those places, it's a concrete slab that's completely caged. Yeah, it's chain linked from kind above of walk in a square. and concreted on the sides. You're yep. in a square outside and that's about it. Yeah, you got two prison guards up above you. Yeah, right to pop you yep. the moment you even shake the cage or anything uh, like that. Absolutely. Um, it's quoted, uh, so let me say this next quote. The conditions of confinement are so oppressive, the helplessness endured and the roller coaster of hope and despair so wrenching and exhausting that ultimately the inmate can no longer bear it and then it is only in dropping his appeals that he has any sense of control over his fate. End quote. And that came from Dr. Stuart Grayson. Um, he wrote then that's what he wrote in the court papers right again it, it that's such bullshit like it, like well, bullshit on who's oh that anybody can interfere with the interfere with the uh, appeals process i'm sorry but you're on tax paradigm and he has officially given up fucking get him off of the fucking paperwork again i mean get again, him again, out. We're, we're talking about a guy who has been convicted nearly 20 years at yeah. this point he's been on death confessed row for almost it. 20 years confessed yeah, it and he fought it for that a few, my, that's my biggest thing is like why the fuck are I, we not popping people the moment they confess well, or give them a week well yeah, okay I mean, let, let's get our ducks in a row Let's get all our paperwork done. But they did confess. Are you still confessing this? All right. Tick. Done. Well, that wouldn't be the first. He wouldn't have been the first person to have fraudulently confessed to something. And again, he was appealing. But he ain't as dumb as Pee Wee Gaskins. <laughs> well, I mean, again, uh, you know, again, I would imagine there's some days where you're like, no, I don't want to die. You know, even in prison, you're going to have your good days and your bad days. So there's, again, you know, he had appealed it for, you know what 16 17 years up to this point but he was finally like look i'm fucking done it, it's not gonna it's happen. not gonna happen i'm good with it i've resolved the matter let's do it and then now suddenly other people are getting involved his father again i get it I, you know, especially I got with it coming kids, from the attorney i have a feeling like because especially state state funding going oh, to go pay for, for that sure that attorney that. you know we should appeal it like this because you know there's a chance there's a technicality here and leading him on and hoping that he's going to get out and maybe he just finally was like fuck it this ain't going this shit is not going to happen no matter what my attorney tells me nothing's going to change fucking kill me right and despite all of that near the end there uh on may 13th of 2005 michael bruce ross was executed by lethal injection at osborne correctional institution in somers connecticut he was 45 years old 
this I found intriguing, but I again, I it fits to the fact that he had given up. He was done. He was ready to go. Ross actually did not request any special last meal before his uh, before facing his execution. Uh, it, he actually just ate the regular prison meal that was that day, which actually consisted of turkey a la king with rice. I don't know what turkey a la king is. I've I, heard of it before. I no don't idea know what, what that makes means. that. Feel free to I comment ain't below. Enough. <laughs> yeah, feel free, yeah, yeah. The, the A has a little slash above it, so yeah, that's out of my that's out of my price jack, my price bracket right there. Probably <laughs> some sort of sauce. Yeah, who knows. Um, uh, but uh, turkey a la king with rice, mixed vegetables, white bread, fruit, and a beverage. Uh, when Michael Bruce Ross was asked if he would like to make a final statement, uh, he said without even opening his eyes, no, thank you. So actually, Michael Bruce Ross's final polite? words was no, thank you. Mm. Uh, he was pronounced dead at 2.25 a.m. Uh, his remains uh, were buried at the Benedictine Grange Cemetery in Reading, Connecticut. But wait, there's more. Because unlike all the killers that we normally get to do, usually there's not a lot to really talk about once they're fucking dead. Not so the case with the ever-present, <laughs> and I don't even know the fucking word at this point. This guy, is, we, we, we Omnipotent? talked. <laughs> I don't know. We talked during some of our breaks while recording that yeah. this guy is just fascinating. Yeah, he, he does. He absolutely he's a, fascinates me. He is a fucking me. riddle. Yeah. I don't get him. Yeah. I would have loved to have, like, and there's not many serial killers I would ever give a fuck to have actually told. Well, I would because I'm a fucking morbid asshole. But he, I would really, I feel like if I got a chance to talk to him one-on-one, I would leave with more questions than when I walked in. Yeah, no, I honestly feel like if he had lived during more modern times and he'd found like FetLife.com, he may have never got around <laughs> maybe, to killing anybody. Maybe. He'd be but, like, oh, there's a lot of people with some deviant sexual behavior that I can get down with. I don't have to kill yeah, nobody. Once he wanted to be like, well, can I roll you over on your stomach and choke you out until you're dead? They'd have been like, yeah, but not that part. Yeah, well, until you pass out. I mean, people are into that shit, that too. One. Uh, yeah, but so, no, so yeah, after regardless. his execution, Joe, again, you had mentioned him early, Dr. Stuart Grassian, uh-huh. uh, who uh, he was a psychiatrist who had argued that Ross was not competent to waive his appeal. This doctor actually received a letter posthumously, humously, whatever, from Michael Bruce Ross that was dated May 10th of 2005, which read, and I quote, check and mate. You never had a chance. Huh. End quote. Again, the fucking layers of Michael Bruce Ross. Shrek is nowhere near the onion that Michael Bruce Ross was. Weird. Insane. Well, because his high IQ, he probably was just like, this fucking doctor's trying to shrink my brain, but he doesn't realize I'm smarter than he is. Yeah, he's he's sitting here thinking, I don't know. No, I know what the fuck's going on. I want to fucking die. I'm done with this, dude. And just to think about it also, too, like a a doctor who got to have extended amounts of time with a fucking serial killer, can you imagine the profits he could have made after he (laughs) was gone? That that's where he was. I I honestly feel that that's where it came from. It's like fuck you, you ain't gonna make a goddamn dime off of me, motherfucker. I'm dead. Who knows? I like. Few, I really fucking love that. I mean, maybe. I mean, this <laughs> is definitely some boss ass like movie villain type yeah. move right there. A, a few fun more facts before, as we close this one out. Uh, Ross's execution was actually the first in Connecticut and uh, in all of New England since 1960. Wow. Uh, It was also the first and only execution in Connecticut to be administered by lethal injection. Hmm. 
Now, as of June 2020, Ross was the last inmate executed in Connecticut as the death penalty was abolished in Connecticut on April 25th of 2012. That's really interesting. So also, um, Ross was a suspect in the rapes and murders in the state of Indiana. Which again, this may explain that one and a half year gap. Yeah, Maybe yeah. he did a little traveling or something like that. But uh-huh. but yeah, go ahead, Joe. Yeah, so Candace Ferris, while vacationing in Indiana, was allegedly taken at gunpoint and raped, yet managed to escape and was later found by her friends in a nearby cornfield her friends had seen her driving off with a man that fit michael bruce ross's description that's a little too much that's a little uh, I mean, if you look at the episode also art, too she like a- lived she lived right well it said she she managed to get away from him yeah uh, and again. gunpoint he he fair, never fair had enough. a gun at the other well, ones. It, it goes back to that. I mean, and again, we, I'm sure we'll eventually get to him, but he's so well known. We try not to do that. But like Henry Lee Lucas, yeah. he, he got pinned with a lot of murders that a lot of people are like, he was in one state for one of them. And then like six hours later was in a different state for it. There's no way he could have done both. Yeah. But they, but everybody was coming, out, they kept on trying to get them. off their books yeah. and stuff like that. Make when they yeah. don't have make bonuses. Who fucking knows at this point? And of course, with the murders and stuff, there was probably just some murders in the area that fit his M.O. and things of that nature. But again, if you look at the episode art, this dude looks like your typical gangly white guy fucking nerd. Yeah. Everybody who makes a He's joke Joe about Bread. white people yeah, who eat Joe cheese white sandwiches, yeah. this is fucking, this is yeah. Michael Bruce no, they're over the, no, that that's bullshit. That's way too fucking vague, and it doesn't fit his fucking M.O. Well, so he also I stayed g- in the Northeast, so yeah. like, why the fuck would he... Cut all the way over to Indiana, but again... Yeah, I put a couple... I think that's bullshit. I think it's just linked up just to link up. More than likely, yes. But... We have reached our time, Dreadheads. Thank you so much. That was episode 54 about Michael Bruce Ross, the roadside strangler. And again... That was the that was the hardest episode that I've had to research yet. Usually I could find two or three good sources and I can get everything from that. This guy, I kept having to fucking pull deeper and deeper to get any detail. And Everyone maybe that's why I actually like this guy to a certain extent. And don't take me wrong. You know, I, yeah, you, well, you know what I mean? He's yeah, very there we intriguing. go. Very intriguing. I, like, I feel like I would actually kind of like to have spoke with him. There's not a lot of serial killers that we've spoke about that I would even stomach speaking to. Oh, I'd want to speak to all of them because I'm a fucking but Sick this fuck. guy, for me, for some reason, just because of the juxtaposition of what he did versus how he lived the later half of his life, leads me to believe there's a lot of information in between, like especially correlating to his childhood that... Uh, I don't know. He's just a fucking onion, well, man. Wouldn't surprise me if he actually kept a lot of information to himself. Absolutely, because he was too intelligent. He knew what was going to happen with his information. Yeah, he they, they gave were him g- enough to basically. They were going to trap. They were going to fucking just land blast his entire family. Probably didn't want that shit being put on Who his knows? younger siblings or even his father that he respected. Yeah, you know he he didn't want to pull them through the media. But I I don't know. There's yeah. just a lot of stand upness at the end that I'm just like, what the fuck? Yeah, this yeah this 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 guy is a is a whole different breed in my opinion. Yeah. we hope y'all enjoyed listening yeah. to him. Feel. Free free to make some comments if you guys found him to be Land an oddball as well. me for liking a serial killer. Feel free. Yeah, or making that joke <laughs> about his first victim not having to pay her college debts. It's I, the truth. I would admonish her for that if I was any of you. <laughs> but we've almost well, kept Especially you for- if you're having to pay student loans. Yeah, to be fair, <laughs> she was talking about an Asian victim and she's half Asian. So uh, technically, I think it's a hate crime if you bust her out for it. So. Well, you know, there's a certain percentage of every fucking university that they bring over exchange students is almost as like a tax write off because they give them free tuition. 
And oh, it's so Cornell bullshit. was being racist. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Most universities are. Um, every thickens. fucking university is. All right. Well, that's maybe an episode for a different show and another time <laughs> and something we're not intelligent enough to maybe talk about. Maybe we need to do another different podcast completely unrelated to this one. I've got too <laughs> and many. And just let me just go hang on. We've got too many, including the upcoming tr- uh, Fright Flick, Fuck, Mary Kill this week, which will be about Speak No Evil. That's up this upcoming Friday on the 27th. And again, the debut episode of Talking Dread will be on January 30th, Monday. It's not going to be a weekly episode, but we're going to hope to do a couple of those per month. And you should definitely tune into that one on YouTube and BitChute because it's going to actually be a video interview with a horror writer and director, DJ Remark of Blood Scribe Creations. Make sure you check them out on IG and on the internet. And again, you're listening to this. It's January 25th. All of our new episodes come out on Wednesday, January 26th at 9, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. We're going to be on IG Live talking about the future of Spread the Dread, launching the Patreon, and, you know, picking your brains about some of that stuff and things like that. It's probably going to be absolutely nothing, but this is the first time we're actually scheduling an IG Live, and we hope to start doing that more often as well. Again, Ooh, I have a reason to take a shower and get dressed. <laughs> that is true. That is true, Dreadheads. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that for that reason, obviously, for so many obvious reasons. I'd rather reasons. have a kid on a tit or a hip, so God damn it. She does. Half the time I come in, she looks like a lonely like housewife of like a cattle rancher from like the 1800s. Just There's just children everywhere, and she just she looks happy to see me, but very defeated. So, but yeah, again, January 26th, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, U.S. on IG. Come and hang out on the live with us. Again, thank you all so much for listening. That's it, right, Joe? Don't forget spreadthedreadpodcast.com. And if you are listening on Apple or Spotify, leave a five-star review. Screenshot it to us on IG, Facebook, or Gmail. And I actually wanted to just quickly say thank you, Chris, for all the gross, gory That's pictures. Chris O, right? Yes, yes Chris O. Yes, yes. thank some, you. Yeah, I see maybe a future episode researcher right there. Yeah. So we, we love free labor, Chris. So just keep on bringing <laughs> that shit. But again, thank you all so much for listening. And again, thank you all for giving us a spectacular listener numbers last week. Yes. Keep it rolling. Keep spreading that dread. And let's close as we always do by saying, I'm John. And I'm Joe. And it's dreadful out there, dreadheads. So leave the dread to us. You make sure that you stay proud, stay powerful, and stay positive. And no matter if it's morning, noon, or night, and no matter if you're doing something while listening to this or about to get out there and do it, you make sure that you get out there and wreck that shit. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here?